from the book of Acts, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. Happy Pentecost. Happy Pentecost. <laughs> if you've spent any time in church life, uh, you've probably seen some pretty strange things. Amen? Uh, liturgical dance comes to mind. I once saw a video of a priest miming the Eucharist. Like, you know, that. Um, but one thing you've probably seen, which is also a little bit strange, this is a, this is a big Pentecost one. It's a, this is a big crowd pleaser. Everybody loves it. Is on Pentecost Sunday, the rector will ask, or probably not Episcopalian, because such things we don't do, but uh, the rector would ask people to go up and read the gospel in different languages. Read it in English, read it in Spanish, read it in Creole, read it in French, maybe even, for example. Find anyone you can in the congregation that speaks another language, give them the mic, and let her rip. And the idea, of course, I think it's well-intentioned, but the idea is that at Pentecost are all of these sorts of people gathered together, and they do, in fact, hear the preaching in their own language. But the cruel part of it, maybe that's too strong, the challenge of doing it that way is it misses an important theological and pastoral point, and it's this. When the Holy Spirit comes, the change is not in the speakers, but in the hearers. Let me say that again. When the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, it's not a change in the speakers only. We don't actually know exactly what happens, frankly. But it's not a change in the speakers, it's a change in the hearers. What you see, and this is incredibly important, is this really cool interaction between the speakers, these Galilean fishermen, and the hearers that hear, this, hear the word preached in their own languages. And the reason I say that it's cruel to do it where you just read the, la the gospel in, your, in uh, different languages is because, because the Holy Spirit's power, you see, resides in the fact that he changes people, listen, from the inside out. Maybe you've experienced this yourself. Maybe you have. I'll bet you have. Maybe you've ever been to a sermon and you've heard somebody preach something that was like spoke right to you? I'll get to that more in a second. Well, guess what? That's the Holy Spirit working in, on, and through you. So the change at Pentecost, the point I'm trying to make here, is that Christianity is relational, right? God is relational. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those are relational terms. And then the, God, the, the, the Pentecost is about the relationship between the speaker and the hearer, and God between the two of them. And I want to show you this with three points today. Three things I want to show you out of Pentecost that prove or that illustrate my point about this interaction between the speaker and the hearer and God in the middle. Let's look at the breath of God, the fire of God, and the rejection by the world. The breath of God, the fire of God, and the rejection by the world. So first thing is this idea of the, the breath of God. One thing you need to realize is that Pentecost is not a Christian holiday. It's a Jewish holiday. And on Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover, Penta, five, people would go and they'd bring all their crops, their wheat that they'd harvested since Pentecost. They'd bring them to the temple in Jerusalem. And people would be gathered from all over the Roman Empire to bring their offerings to the Lord. It's kind of like uh, our own Thanksgiving holiday without Penn State football. Uh, and, they get, and so what you have are people from all over the empire. You know, when you read through uh, Parthians and 
residents of Mesopotamia and Elamites. I love saying that. Elamites. Couldn't, I couldn't, I know what an Elamite is, but somebody from Elam, I presume. But if you take a map of the world and put pins on the map in those different people groups, what you actually see is a great big uh, illustration of the Roman Empire. The point is, these are Jews gathered from, well, and non-Jews, Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabs, the whole shooting match. Everybody from all over the empire is there. And Luke writes, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all, the disciples, the apostles, gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were staying. Let's stop there. Luke says it was like a mighty rushing wind. It's not a wind, but it's like a wind. And that's an important point, and it might not be obvious to you, but you'll understand it in a second. When these people are gathered together, these apostles in the upper room, they're waiting from when Jesus said last week, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They're waiting, and they're waiting because there's all these people in Jerusalem, and they're scared. If they get found out, they could very well meet the same fate that Jesus did and be executed. So they're waiting, and they're waiting. And this wind, this rushing of a wind comes through the room. Now, what does that mean? Well, the important thing to remember is that these are Jewish men. And, they, and one thing about, an important thing about wind in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, is that wind, listen, is a creative force. Wind is a creative force. It's a word, ruach in Hebrew. It's the word pneuma, like, like uh, pneumatology or no, in Greek. Pneuma, breath, wind. It's the same word. And this breath and this wind in the Bible is a creative force. Force. Let me give you an example. There's lots of examples. I'll just give you uh, just one. If you know your Old Testament, and these guys were Jewish, they would have known their Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 2, God creates the first human, the first being, the man of red dirt, the Hadam, right? And what does God do? He reaches down, and he picks up red mud, red soil, and he breathes into it. And that breath makes Adam come alive, you, give, you take away their breath, the choir sang, and, they, and the, they die, right? The point here is that this breath, this wind, it's the same word, don't forget that, is a creative force. And so God is creating something. We don't yet know what it is, but when this wind comes through, they know something big is happening. And it's weird because we as Floridians, we think of wind as destructive, right? A cat five. Anybody got their hurricane insurance jacked up this year? I did. Which makes me always wonder this time of the year, what does Jim Cantori do the rest of the year? <laughs> I, wonder if, I wonder if he trains off-season by having his children throw things at him and he's got to dodge them. I don't know. Jim Cantori. So for us, wind is a destructive thing. But for a first-century Jew, here's the key, is that God's wind, his breath, is a creative force. And what he's creating is us, the church. Let me, let me stop there and ask you a question. What exactly, this is a big question, I'm not going to get into it too deeply, but what exactly is the church? It's a huge question. And part of the reason why it's actually kind of sad to have to even think about this for a second is because for a lot of, in a lot of places, the church is becoming more and more like the world, Right? Becoming, you know, rock shows and skinny jean preachers and all that sort of stuff. And 
coffee cups and church, that kind of thing, the, 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 uh, the church and the world become more and more united, more and more indistinguishable from each other. But biblically speaking, the church is not just a nonprofit with a cross on top. The church, biblically speaking, the church is a supernatural society. The church is a supernatural society created by God, called out of the culture to change the culture in which we live by the indwelling power and the supernatural power of the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit, this breath of God, that moves then and now in the church, that, the, that takes the church, which is us, and lets us do our mission to change the world. I don't say that. I'm not, I'm not being hyper, uh, hyperbole there. I mean it, to change the world one human soul at a time. Back to a point I made earlier. I'll give you an example. You ever heard a sermon, and it can be me or anybody for that matter, Ever heard a sermon by me or somebody else? It doesn't matter who it is, frankly, because it's not about me or that person. But you hear the sermon and you think to yourself, man, I really needed to hear that. I will be honest with you. I have preached sermons and thought to myself, man, I really needed to hear that. It sounds funny, but it's truth. But the reason is the same. Because it's not the preacher that's the change. It's not the speaker that's changed. It's the hearer that's changed. Father, I want, man, you said exactly, how did you know what was going on, going on in my life? How did you know that was exactly what I needed to hear? Well, I got news for you, full disclosure, I don't. But God does. And that's the important thing. God does, and God will work between, between me and you is the action of the Holy Spirit. But between the apostles, as they speak these words, and the hearers is the operation, operation of the Holy Spirit, friends, it is the operation of the Holy Spirit. He is the change agent, not me. God knows. And the Holy Spirit, even now, speaks through the church. People are changed. People are converted. New creations are made. I'll get to that in a second. But before I do that, let me ask you a question. How has God changed you? See, the whole, how has the Holy Spirit, how has God's Holy Spirit changed your heart, enabled you to understand the Christian faith like you never did before. That change, that movement, is an action of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss it. And it happens here, by the way, at this parish. Doesn't happen everywhere. It does happen here. People come here from all over, right? We don't get Parthians and Medes and Elamites, but we do get New Jerseyans and New Yorkers and Kentuckians. Is that what you call a Kentucky person? Kentuckian? And if you ask them what draws them here, they'll say to you, you know, this place just feels right. I can't really put my finger on it, but it feels right here. Well, it's like Luke. It was something like a wind, something like fire. I can't put my finger on it because it's supernatural. But God brings people here. The Holy Spirit draws them here. Why? Because at Trinity, we love each other. It is sincere. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in here. Because we are, friends, and I don't say this lightly, we are a supernatural society. God's wind, God's breath is a creative force. And he calls us, he creates us as church here. That leads me to my second point. God's wind is a creative force, but God's, we also see the presence 
of the fire of God. See, fire is also found in the Old Testament. There's a lot of imagery here, too. I could spend hours on this, and I won't. But fire is also, you see fire in the Old Testament. Wind, wind creates, fire is something different. And fire, I'll give you one example, Moses and the burning bush. Moses is out tending his sheep, and he sees a, bur- a bush that was like it was burning. It's not burning. The bush is not burning. It looks like it is burning, and it draws Moses' attention. I mean, look, bushes burn all the time. He's been out, he's, this is what he does for a living. He's a shepherd. He's, he's seen this before, but he sees this bush that looks like it's burning, and it draws his attention. I've got to check this out. This is so weird. This is strange. What is it? And he goes, and he sees that this bush, this burning bush, speaks to him, but it's not the bush. It's God speaking to him through, in, somehow, the action of this burning bush. So what is fire? Fire is the presence of God. Verse 3, it says, and divided tongues of, as of fire. It's a metaphor like something like fire, appeared on them and rested on each one of the apostles. Do you see the importance of that? That God's presence is manifested not through fire or a bush here. When the church has created this new thing, it's coming together. What's going on here? It's not just a fire in a bush. It's a fire on the human heart. Crucially important. That when it's with the church, the, the creative force is not just, the church is not just an it, it's an us, it's a we. The creative power of the Holy Spirit as a Christian is given to you. You know, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Um, I'll read it to you, and then I'll tell you something about it real quick. Paul writes, and this is a rhetorical question, and it's not meant to be a pat on the head. It's a, it's a challenge. He says, Do you not know, he's talking to Christians here, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? Do you not know that? You are not your own. That's plural, y'all in Greek. Y'all are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You know, I have to tell you honestly, when I think of my body being a temple, that actually kind of scares me. And the reason it scares me is because I know that I'm a sinner. And to know that God dwells within me, God, Paul saying, look, do you not know that the Holy Spirit, is by being a virtue of being a Christian, whom the Holy Spirit dwells in, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that, Paul says? Live like it. You are not your own. So glorify God in your body. So here's a question. It's a biggie, a challenge. Do you live, do you live like you really believe that you are God's temple? What is a temple? A temple is where God lives. The temple in Jerusalem is where God's presence was manifested. You couldn't even go in unless you were the high priest once or else you you were dead. But the thing I want you to hear today, loud and clear, as Christians, as a believer in Jesus and a baptized Christian, that God's Spirit dwells in you. Are you? Are you a dwelling? Are you a temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, how do you know? Well, do people see it in you? If you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, people will see it in you, and they might not like it. I'll get to that in a second. But if God's presence is within you, then you should be living differently. You should see yourself differently. You should act differently than you did. Because, see, the 
coming of the Holy Spirit isn't just about the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church corporately, but the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. Are you, friends, a temple of the Holy Spirit? Does God live in you? Are you bearing Christ to the world? Well, I don't know. Well, how do you spend your money? How do you set your priorities? Do you gossip? Do you drink too much sometimes? Whatever, fill in the blank. I mean, we've all got stuff, but the point Paul's saying is remember, who, remember what you are and live like it. See, Pentecost shows us two things. The creative power of the wind of God, the creating of God, but then the creative power of the presence of God on the individual human heart. And then finally we see the rejection by the world. Let me show you this. Isn't it fascinating to me, it fascinates me anyway, isn't it interesting when pe- God's power is manifested to all these people? They see Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia all gathered around, and these poor Galilean fishermen are speaking, and they're hearing it in their own language. And they're, they're, it says twice, they are filled with amazement. They're scared. What is going on here? Something is going on. What exactly is it? They are hearing the words of, of, God, of preaching in their own language. They cannot deny the change. The evidence is right there. And the crowd sees this. Whoa, what is going on? What does this all mean? And yet in verse 13, Luke tells us, but others mocked him saying, saying they are just filled with new wine. Now it's nine o'clock in the morning. Okay. Maybe to Penn State tailgate, but not, in, not at, at Pentecost. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and they're filled with new wine. New wine is, that's the cheap stuff. So what they're saying is not, these people aren't, these aren't holy. They're not really even serious. They're just a bunch of drunks. Here's the point, though. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? The people make fun of you. Look at you weird. Think you're strange. Because the Holy Spirit changes people from the inside out, so much so that the evidence is irrefutable. And if you are a Christian, if you're the real deal, and your life is being changed, and I hope it is, if you're living like a temple of the Holy Spirit, people will notice and people will mock you. That people see a change in you that is irrefutable, that defies explanation, but they won't accept it. Are you drunk for Christ? Not literally, obviously. Well, if people question you, well, why, you go to church on Sunday? That's a little strange. Oh, there's Jimmy's a holy roller, right? But look, don't be surprised. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. And in fact, if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, some people will get it and some people won't. And you know why? It's the action of the Holy Spirit to make them change. Friends, I want you to look around this room today. We are all here gathered together That's where the Holy Spirit operates. And I want to know that in this room, you see God. You see God working amongst his people, working on on others, working on you, through the word preached, the sacraments administered. And I want you to hear, I want you to see and hear God's word being preached and changing lives for good. Because see, that's actually the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, That's part of a supernatural society that changes lives for good. Are you a temple of the Holy Spirit? If so, I want you to go this week, and I want you to go and I want you to be that temple. I want you to be a place where people meet God. I want you to be a person 
whose life is different. And people might not like it always, but they know it's real. Go and be his witnesses, is my charge to you today. I'll leave you with this. This, is, this came out of when I was getting ready for my sermon this past week. A quote, again, from, from Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says, this, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Greek is in Christu, it means uh, owned by, surrounded by, embedded with. If any, therefore, if anyone is in Christo, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, look, the new has come. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who creates the church today, for which we are thankful, who gives the pres- his presence here when we gather together, who fills our hearts, who inflames us, who takes root and lives within us, who makes us each of us a temple of you. Help us, Lord, to take our charge seriously, to live like temples of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Thank you.